This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of brew strong today with my good friend mitch Steele. how's it going mitch good how are you jamil i am hanging in there which is my answer to pretty much everybody every day i use that phrase a lot (laughs) yeah that's like there's not much else i can do i'm I'm surviving as i'm sure you are um you know doing, doing the best i can yeah, that's what everybody's doing, you know, and uh, right. yeah, it's tough times, tough year, for yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm sure it's tough for a lot of people. Uh, you know who uh, is probably figuring out clever ways to survive this tough time? No, who's that? John Blickman. John Blickman. <laughs> My good friend, John Blickman. Serious engineering mind. So clever. Uh, he has, uh, luckily, instead of... Uh, diverting his powers towards towards evil i mean he could have been like an evil emperor in, in like the avengers movies or something <laughs> instead or he could have gone on to be uh, you know iron man however he he's turned his uh, massive uh, brain power to uh, supporting the the brewing industry and so he's making these uh, great uh, pieces of equipment that innovate your homebrew day or your professional brew day so uh cool guy and he pays for this show so you don't have to uh and uh if you get a chance i think you should uh, send john blickman a thank you email to feedback at blickmanengineering.com tell him how much you appreciate he pays for this show so you don't have to ah so mitch uh it's been a while since we've talked i mean yeah uh, it's been what six seven months since we've (laughs) did evil (laughs) three yeah yeah and we uh, well, we'll text every once in a while. I'll ask you about, you know, some critical brewing piece of information I need to know. And there you <laughs> and <are>. Vice versa. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you, because I think, you know, we really haven't talked about how things are going in Georgia. You moved your entire family now to Georgia. And uh, I mean, how's that going for you? Well, you know, it's going pretty well. Um, we moved... I had been commuting for three years and that was, that was really tough. Um, you know, but I did that so my daughter could stay and finish high school in California Mm -hmm. and we packed everybody up and moved out in August of last year. So it's been just over a year. Um, and my daughter was starting school in Savannah, Georgia, which is about a four hour drive from where we are. So Mm -hmm. it, it, it actually worked out kind of nice. Um, you know, the fact that, that she's going to school so fairly close to Atlanta. Right. Otherwise um, but, it would have been across the country. Yeah. Yeah. And that would have been tough. Uh, that, that would have freaked us out a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, it's going good. Atlanta's a great city. We found a, a neat house in a 60 year old neighborhood. Um, and I'm seven miles from work and I don't have to get on a highway, which in Atlanta is a very important consideration. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I mean, obviously with, with the, uh, the COVID-19 situation, the traffic has not been as bad as Atlanta right. could be, but uh, it's starting to pick back up. And so I'm always thankful I don't have to get on the interstate to get home. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. but I mean, we're in a nice, nice neighborhood. I'm 10 miles from Decatur, 
or 10 minutes from Decatur, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta and has really good beer bars and food. And then, you know, right around the brewery where we are, there's all sorts of good, good places to get a good beer. Yeah. And I'm not sure people know, uh, I mean, you moved to Georgia to start uh, new realm brewing, uh, which, uh, you know, seems like you're going great guns and you're, uh, you're doing all sorts of interesting things. I was supposed to come out, I think it was last June when I, when I got uh, sick and uh, yeah. wasn't able to come out, we were going to do a collab. Right. Right. Um, You're still at the top of my list. So just know that. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that brother. <laughs> well, and you know, so what's it like to visit new realm? I mean, I, I, I looked at the, some of the pictures you know what you guys you guys do full food you guys have a bar you have uh, spirits you have a uh, beer yeah um all of the above um, in atlanta anyway um the 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 two places that we're running right now are very different from each other but atlanta uh was our first first place and we just fell in love with the building and the location um for a lot of reasons, but uh, number one, it's in a very, very dense, uh, densely populated area with a lot of young people that like to drink beer. Uh, mm -hmm. There are over 6,000 apartments that are a 10, less than a 10 minute walk from our spot. So, you know, almost 80% of the people that come there come on foot. Hmm. Uh, that's which is, nice. That's, yeah, it's nice, you know. Um, uh, but we've got a full-on restaurant. Uh, we've got, oh, gosh, four, four or 500 seats in the place wow. when it's at normal capacity. But, you know, we've got an indoor. The, the thing that's kind of cool about what we did there is we've got several different rooms or areas where you can either drink or eat or get or do both. And so we've got a main restaurant with, a, with an L-shaped bar that you can sit at and a lot of tables. And then we've got a patio outside. And then we've got a, a, a beer garden that's landscaped. Um, and then we have a couple of event rooms. And then we have a rooftop bar, which is kind of the crowning jewel of the place. Uh, you get a great view of the Atlanta skyline um, sitting up there at the rooftop bar. And that's usually, you know, un, under normal circumstances, that place on the weekends is is packed. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's it's you can always kind of get a different experience depending on where you decide to sit when you come to new realm. And, and one of the things that I like to do, um, you know, we have about 25 different beers on tap at any given time. And that's nice. Uh, we get a lot of people that come in that aren't hardcore craft beer drinkers and just want a good beer. And so, uh, we've been brewing a fair amount of lagers and, um, uh, some lighter styles. And then, and then we brew my IPAs and, mm -hmm. you know, stouts and porters and things, but, um, and we're doing kettle sours and stuff like that. So my goal with the restaurant is, is when anybody comes in, I want them to have a beer or find a beer that they'll like, you know, and, uh, that's a, a different approach than what we did when I was at stone at stone. It was beers that we liked. Right. <laughs> for the most part, which was cool in its own way, um, right. you know, but we all have well, different tastes. So it's kind of nice to be able to brew something for, for people that may not, uh, may not be fully appreciative of a of really hot forward beer. Are you doing the hazy, juicy beers? We are. Um, we've got, in fact, our best selling beer is a hazy IPA called hazy, like a Fox. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I was, I was a little late to the game on this because these things took off when we weren't brewing, when we were building our brewery. Mm -hmm. and, and then after we opened up, we, we started off with, you know, kind of a nice lineup of IPA and porter and pale ale. And, and, you know, the biggest feedback we got is you guys need a hazy IPA. What the hell are you doing? And so I had to kind of drop everything and learn how to brew one of those, which is a lot more tricky than I think people realize Yes. Um, <laughs> and so, but it's our best selling beer right now, which is kind of cool. Right. Right. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, it takes some, takes some doing. There's a lot more science behind it than people think people, you know, uh, I, I think originally, you know, my thought was, well, you know, these are like half fermented, you know, poorly made beers, but that's in part because of the samples I was getting. Right. And, you know, once I started getting some good samples, like, oh, okay, you know, these are, 
these are actually well done. And there's, you know, there's some science behind how they're making them hazy without, you know, just a ton of yeast and all that stuff in them. So are you doing anything else? What's your weirdest beer there? What's the weirdest beer you brewed? I think oh, the, gosh. The, the collab where we're going to do was probably. <laughs> probably going to be. Yeah, going to be up in that in that category. I, you know, I think one of the funnest beers that we have on tap right now is is um, we've we've developed a friendship with a, an Atlanta uh, uh, producer of frozen pops, you know, treats, and uh, they're called King of Pops, and uh, they more you know in normal times they park out on. Uh, on walking paths and parks and stuff with these carts and they sell their, their popsicles and mm-hmm. uh, they do all sorts of really cool flavors. Um, and we've done a couple of collaborations with them. And the last one we did was based on their best selling pop, which is a chocolate sea salt uh, mm-hmm. pop. Uh, really it's like a, a fudge sickle on steroids, you know, it's really just oh. amazing. And, and so we use their cocoa and their salt, which I'm not sure the salt makes much of a difference, but um, uh, we were able to do this kind of brown 8% ale with some lactose sugar in it, and then this chocolate and sea salt. And it, it, doggone, if it doesn't taste like the pop, I, I was just blown away at how close we got with it, you know, and it's, it's a beer and it's, you know, but it drinks like it's got dairy in it and it doesn't except for the, well, it's got milk sugar in it, you know, but, uh, um, you know, it's got that smoothness and that creaminess, you know, and, and, and it was really kind of a fun project to try and put together. It made me nervous because I, I just wasn't confident that we were going to be able to nail what we were trying to do, but we did. Right. Um, right. Another one we've we've got out now, and I, I I came up with this idea without realizing that a lot of other brewers had already done it. But we did a, a Berliner Weiss that was sweetened with lactose sugar, and we added lemon juice and black tea to it to make it taste like an Arnold Palmer uh, soda. Mm. Um, and and that one has has we just released that this summer. That one's done great. Uh, it's a little too sweet for my taste, but I I'm very pleased with the end result and how it mm. came out. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of consumers today, uh, you know, they're looking for something on the sweeter side, or they like a sweet and sour, you know, kind of like, you know, candy and, um, you know, it's everybody likes, you know, different, different things. So you can't really, can't really fault them for, you know, what what it is they enjoy. So I'm the same way as you. It's like, well, I only need to brew like one beer for me. (laughs) <laughs> all the rest of them, it can be for other people. I'm fine with that. You know, yeah, I, I mean, just want people to enjoy the beer. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I look at it too. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's some things that I try to avoid doing, you know. But um, uh, in general, if it's if it's a beer style that I think is legit and people will drink it, then mm-hmm. you know, I got I have no problem making it. We're making yeah. seltzers now. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are too. I've always <laughs> said, you know. If if what everybody wants to drink is you know Bud Light, okay, I, I'd make Bud Light. You know, I, I I don't care. I'm happy with making quality beer, and everybody's got their own you know kind of uh, you know preferences on flavor. So yeah, yeah, uh, you know, so be it. I'll brew some beers for me, and then I'll brew some beers for other people. That's yeah. that's fine. Um, you know, and especially, I mean, you 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 work for for Anheuser Bush for for a time, you know. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong with brewing beer that people like. Uh whatever yeah. the beer may be. Yeah. Uh so you mentioned your your other location. Are you talking about your Virginia uh brewery? Yeah, Virginia Beach. That's that's where I'm actually sitting right now. Our our head brewery here, Evan Chamberlain, he and his wife had a baby last week. And so he's on paternity leave. So I I made a quick decision to drive up um, to Virginia beach and spend the week here with the team. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, kind of a long story about how that all came about, but we were the first six months of new realm in Atlanta, we were going like gangbusters and we mm-hmm. were starting to get nervous about running out of space and running out of capacity. And we were just starting to have some conversations about building a production brewery, which was always in our plan. That was always something we wanted to do. And, you know, when those conversations were going on, uh, you know, the bank repossessed the brewing equipment 
in this in this building in Virginia Beach that was green flash. They locked the doors. Everybody got laid off um, with a text message. I mean, it was really really pretty sudden and pretty ugly. And um, they uh, the bank put the the facility up for auction. And um, you know, we we thought about it. It, it. And originally, our plan was not to be in Virginia. Our plan was to stick further south. But you know where where this brewery is in Virginia Beach, it's only twenty miles from the North Carolina border, and North Carolina is a state we definitely wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. So you know, we kind of rethought things a little bit, and uh, we bid on the brewery, and we got it. And it's a it's a beautiful brewery. It's a fifty barrel brew house, and you know it's probably got thirty thousand barrels of fermentation capacity annually, and room to expand, and uh, a good team here, and. So it was, you know, we, we started brewing in Virginia Beach in August of 2018. Um, and then we opened a restaurant. Uh, we redid the tap room and uh, built out a kitchen and, um, you know, did a lot of uh, remodeling over the winter of 2018, 2019. And then in the spring uh, of 2019, we opened up the full service restaurant. It's it's a nice place. It's a, it's a lot different than Atlanta. I mean, it's much more... Uh, much more residential neighborhood, um, you know, a lot of families, a lot of homes, uh, you know, and of course, Virginia Beach has a ton of military here. So we get a lot of military folks coming in and that that was influencing what beers they, people were drinking and what we had to brew for Virginia Beach too, which was kind of neat. Um, but we've got a huge outdoor area and, and we'll set up, uh, last summer we set up a stage and had bands on the weekends and uh, it was really cool. Uh, we didn't get to do that this summer, obviously, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's a neat place. It's a beautiful brewery. I like to visit. Um, you know, it's a beautiful area, and we've got um, you know outdoor drinking and dining areas, and indoor, and a lot of space if you want to bring the kids. You know, I I I think the first time I after we opened that I walked out and we the whole grass area was full of families with kids playing frisbee and mm-hmm. kicking soccer balls and everything else. And I turned to Bob Powers, who's who is one of my partners here, and I said, "Bob, this is like being in a park, but with beer. You know, it's, it's pretty cool." <laughs> That's nice. I tell you what, we're gonna take a short little break. If you're listening live, it's only five seconds. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, then you get to listen to our fine sponsors. Uh, but uh, we'll be back right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Uh, this is Brew Strong, and we've got uh, Mitch Steele, my, my dear friend, as a guest here. A uh, couple of questions uh, have been coming in. One is uh, Dan is asking, can, uh, can you give your opinion on Surly closing their beer hall? Lots of rumors about the union having something to do with it. Oh gosh, I I just saw that like like an hour before we we went on, and mm-hmm. so I don't really have any thoughts on it. Um, uh, you know, I know people are going to question the timing of the announcement and everything else. You know, sure. but who knows? Who knows what the real truth is, right? Exactly, and it's it's just such a tough time for for business and beer business. You know, if you had a um, you know, if you're counting on your tap room and your tap room got, got closed down, I mean, here, you know, we didn't have very much outside space here at, at our place. Yeah. And our tap room was a major part of our revenue. And yeah. draft beer sales were a major part of our revenue. Draft beer sales went to about zero. <laughs> yep. The tap room went to about a third. Yep. And so we're, we're, we're required to serve outdoors only. So we've been buying tents at uh, Harbor Freight and screwing them to the parking lot. And, you know, that's where we're eking by on that. We're selling the same amount of beer, but it's all going in cans. And so our margins are much less. 
Yep. So it's it's a tough time. So I don't uh, I don't you know question any brewery that ends up closing, just because it's tough right now. You know, people it is a lot of breweries. Yeah, I mean we're we're maybe pushing forty percent of our normal revenue for this time of year in Atlanta and a little bit less than that in Virginia Beach. Um, and I think I saw in that in the Surly post that they were. Uh, they had lost over 80% of their revenue during this time. I, you know, yeah. there's a lot of breweries and a lot of tap rooms that aren't going to be able to survive yeah. that. We've we've lost over 50% of our revenue. And oh, that's tough. Yeah. That's a killer. Yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, uh, we're we're hanging in there. Um, yeah. You know, it is what it is. We'll we'll get past it. <laughs> um, Stephen was asking, uh, do you have plans for distribution outside of Georgia and Virginia? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the answer is yes, but with a caveat, um, we have decided as a company that we are not going to distribute in states where we don't have an active brewery. Mm -hmm. So um, that is our process. Right now, we are looking at several states to potentially open new facilities. Um, and we won't start distributing in any of those states until we're actually up and running and brewing beer. Hmm. That's that's a a noble uh, uh, I don't know uh, look at uh, how to do it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah. We want to we want to be local. You know. Sure. Sure. You know that's that's a big part of it. I remember we were talking um, about uh, distillery. You guys were setting up a distillery as well in uh, Georgia? That's that's correct. We got a distiller's license last year. Um, and and really what we're doing, we don't have a still on site yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we had plans to to start shopping for one when, um, when COVID hit and then everything kind of got put on hold. Uh, but we've been bringing in bulk spirits and then aging them in barrels. And then, uh, and then proofing it and and putting it in bottles. So um, we've got kind of our own spin on our on our uh, spirits. Uh, we're doing vodka, gin, and bourbon right mm -hmm. now. And I'm looking forward to the time when we can actually start running a still, you know, and, right. and getting some experience with that. But we're not there yet. What kind of, you may you mentioned uh, your own spin on on the spirits? What what kind of what kind of spin are you putting on them? Well, so for example, we've got some bourbon um, aging in bourbon barrels that had uh, aged imperial stout for a year. Mm -hmm. So once we pulled the imperial stout out, we put the bourbon in there and it's been aging for about six months now. Um, you yeah. know, we we played around with different botanicals to add to the gin, you know, those kind of things. Um, mm -hmm. We've been doing, uh, you know, our, our beer manager and, and uh, assistant general manager in Atlanta, Chris, is comes from a pretty strong cocktail background. So he's having a lot of fun building cocktails with beers and spirits and doing mm -hmm. some neat things. So you know, it's a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, the gin thing is always interesting. We we ended up with like three gins that we really liked, and they were all so different and unique that. We ended up keeping all three. We ended up with um, one we call like a, you know, California Botanicals gin. And then uh, we have a citrusy gin. And then we have uh, more like a London dry. So yeah. we just keep all three. And then we're like, well, whichever one sells the best, we'll just keep that one. But they all sell quite well. Oh, I that's mean, the good. London dry is probably the biggest seller. Yeah. I Still. That's that's cool. I mean, it, you know, gin is not one of our biggest sellers. Everybody goes for the vodka. So, um, but it's 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 interesting. I, and I like gin. I'm I'm developing quite a quite a taste for gin. Uh, and I'm not much of a cocktail drinker, honestly. I I tend to stick to beer. But you know, during this shelter in place, Kathleen, my wife, and I, you know, started having Got drunk. No, but just experimenting with making different cocktails and things, you know, which we've never really done before, right. and, you know, just four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, let's make a cocktail. What do you want to make? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've kind of gotten into it and we're, we're starting to package uh, ready to drink cocktails. Are you really? Oh, That's yeah. on my list of things to work on. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's taken me about two years 
Okay. To get this done. I mean, first to you know, develop the recipes that you want to do. Then, you know, the, all the TTB, you know, it, everything requires a formula on the cocktails. And then, yeah. you know, it's just lots of little details on the formula versus what you're going to say on the label. And then, um, you know, then it's the actual production. You small scale this, yeah. you know, to test it, but then you've got to go full scale. And, you know, there's issues there. And I've had a big issue with suppliers, you know, trying to get, you know, large quantities of like blackberry juice uh, okay. can be difficult, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of these, these uh, components, just getting bulk sugar. So I want to buy a ton, literally a ton, more than a ton of sugar, like every six weeks. Okay. And getting people to respond to that has been really tough because it's not that much sugar for them. They're yeah. like, well, yeah, if you buy a full truckload, uh, <laughs> you know, here's your price. I'm just like, okay, well, maybe I could go through a full truckload, but it's going to take me, you know, a year or so, uh, you know, <clears throat> or two years, go through a full truckload. And then the price they're giving me, I found out I can just go to Smart and Final. Our local Smart and Final uh, ordered us a pallet of sugar. And we went down there with our van. They, you know, the morning it came in, you order it on Wednesday, Friday, they have it. They put it in the van for us with the forklift, drove it over here. And it was, you know, same price I would get if I was buying by the truckload. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. Smart and final it is. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm always shocked at, uh, you know, how difficult sourcing the ingredients is. It's a major part of uh, brewing too, you know, hops or, or whatever else it might be. Yeah, I totally. I, I mean, finding the ingredients, especially you know, with me being in a in a new area and trying to learn, you know, where people go to get fruit or things like that, it, it's been a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it. When I was at Stone, we you know we had a lot of local suppliers and we were able to develop relationships that we used you know use these folks for a long time. And then I kind of had to start over when I got to Georgia, uh, right. but we're getting there, you know? Um, so you're, are you adding sugars to your RTDs and, and making them somewhat sweet? Yeah, it, it depends on the RTD, but sure. um, something like we're doing a lemon drop and you really can't okay. do a lemon drop without sugar. So we use cane sugar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, we were being true to the cocktails. That's one of the things the TTB will get to you. And it's like, we wanted to add a little bit of orange juice to our lemon drop. Which mm-hmm. is, people love the flavor when you add just a, just a touch of orange juice. Sure. Yeah. But the TTB was like, well, prove to us that, you know, this isn't a lemon drop because it has orange juice in it. They're like, or prove to us that, you know, it's, it's, publicly it's widely accepted that you can add orange juice to a lemon drop so i had to find websites and recipes that said add orange juice to a lemon drop and you know i found some i gave them those websites i'm like i don't even know if this will work submitted it to them and they're like okay that works so they accepted that we're actually making a lemon drop because you can't use the name of and you have to use the name of uh if you're going to name it like lemon drop or whatever, whatever the cocktail name is, it has to be a cocktail name that is known, right? You, you have to really known cocktail name. You have to prove that it's, you know, if you're going to call it something like, um, I don't know, a gimlet or, uh, you know, a tequila sunrise or whatever, um, you have to make sure that you're using uh, the name correctly and that the recipe matches current bartending standards and that like bartenders, if you went into a bar and asked for a cocktail, a bartender would make you a cocktail, they should know what it is. And those are the names you can use. Now you can oh my just gosh. make a you know, distilled spirits specialty <laughs> call it that, but do you really want to call your your products a distilled spirit specialty or whatever it might be? No, right. No. So wow. you got to be prepared for all that too. That's that's really interesting. <laughs> I I didn't realize the TTP was going to get into into that kind of thing to make sure that it's a standard cocktail right. recipe. I I mean that seems extreme, but 
It, it, right. <laughs> well, and I don't know if it's the new set of people at the TTB now doing colas, yeah. uh, but they seem different than, they're definitely different than Battle Martin. I mean, yeah. you know, we hold different set of people. And then, um, uh, you know, I've got, there was, <laughs> I wanted to make, uh, we make a, a beer called Monster Cookie, which I call it a chocolate chip barley wine, right? Okay. And I'm fine with calling a chocolate chip flavored barley wine, but they're like, no, you can't use the words chocolate chip because it doesn't, or chocolate chip cookie barley wine. You can't use those words on the label because it doesn't have chocolate chip cookies in it. I'm like, well, it's chocolate chip cookie flavored. And they're like, nope. I'm like, okay, I'll throw in chocolate chip cookies then. (laughs) Pound the barrel. How does that sound? (laughs) And so we buy, you know, many pounds of chocolate chip cookies and we throw them in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, if that's what it takes, you know, most of the flavors coming from the malt, you know, from, uh, you know, uh, cocoa powder, things like this. And, um, but they wanted actual chocolate chip cookies. The interesting thing is you can actually taste the chocolate chip cookies in there. <laughs> make a substantial difference. I was kind of wow. That's how, interesting. How, how much impact it would have. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Also wanted to uh, uh, welcome our, our our most recent sponsor, which is uh, Brew Chatter. Brew Chatter is a homebrew supply shop in uh, Sparks, Nevada, right next to Reno. Uh, and great presence on the web, brewchatter.com. Check them out. Wonderful guys, know a lot about brewing, really are superb at teaching people to homebrew and uh, providing super fresh ingredients. So check them out. Good guys there. They're helping pay for this show. So again, you don't have to. And Justin can live the life of luxury that he does, <laughs> that he's grown accustomed to. All right. Speaking of which, we're going to take a short break for some, for some uh, sponsors here. But if you're listening live, we're back in like five seconds. So we'll be back right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Speaking with my dear friend Mitch Steele of New Realm Brewing out in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And we're talking uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Ryan had a question. He said, uh, would love to know Mitch's opinion on the grain bill for a homebrewed arrogant bastard clone as debated by Jamel and Tasty on Can You Brew It? Any more specialty malts needed besides special B? <laughs> um, you know, it, yeah. I mean, I, still I won't under, get, I'm still under the yeah. gag rule. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't get fired because I'm already gone. But uh, yeah, right. that, would, that would not set well. Um, do you, do I, you have I, any, any further opinion on how close we got with our guess, clone? So you guys got pretty close at one point, and then you kind of veered away a little bit. Yeah, because Tasty didn't believe me that we were like dead on. <laughs> pretty close. It was dead on. It was there. I'm telling was, you. Yeah, it was. It was close. And then, and then you started going and taking it in a little different direction. And I'm like, ah, I felt like I was playing the hot and cold game. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you the one, the recipe where. Uh, <clears throat> I I and five others said it was cloned and Tasty didn't because he just wanted to keep going on it, I think. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's the recipe to use. And I think there's there's only like three malts in it. It's like special B is the only specialty grain you need. Um, and I based that off of an interview with, uh, I think, uh, Greg. Uh, it was Greg or Steve said there's only three malts in it or something, three malts and one hop or, or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. they give out a lot of information early on and then they kind of became secretive about arrogant bastard. So yeah. I investigated all of that myself <laughs> and I interviewed the head brewer at the time, Mitch Steele about how to brew it. He didn't give me much information, but I was able to read between the lines. He was blinking his eyes. I thought that was Morse code. That's really, <laughs> so that's that's the the uh, recipe you need. That that one, Ryan. That one will do it. Uh, trust me on that. Then it's just a matter of your your brewing skill. Uh, the recipe is correct. 
Nice. Uh, <laughs> I, I tell you what, Jamil, that was that was one of the funnest things I think I ever did. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I remember when you when you asked me, I was like, oh boy, you know, that's the one brand that I'm not supposed to talk about. And right. I went to Greg, and Greg said, you know, you could have some fun with this as long as you don't break the rules. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's see how this works out. Uh, that was great. Yeah. I love doing that show. Can you brew it? It was just so much work. We never had enough time because yeah. we'd have to do the interviews. We'd have to do uh, the recipe formulation. We'd have to uh, get samples in. We'd have to find somebody to brew it. They'd have to brew it correctly. And so we'd have, we'd have to take a couple of shots at it. It was always, uh, always a chore, but yeah. an enjoyable chore. Um, all right. So, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, let's see, we were going to talk about fermentation. We've got two hours here, folks, that are listening. So Dean was asking about Quebec yeast, but I think we're going to do that a little later on. Uh, I've got it on my, my list of things to ask you. Ask the, the uh, great Mitch Steele. Um, what about hops? I mean, you're, you're known as a hops guy. You wrote a book on IPA. Um, how have, have you changed your thoughts on IPA? Has, has things changed over, over the last you know, decade or two for you mentally about what an IPA is or how an IPA is brewed? Or um, has the new hazy juicy kind of, you know, do you consider those IPAs? Some people don't. Yeah, I, I, um, you know, on the regarding the hazy IPAs, I remember I posted something a couple of years ago where I suggested that maybe they deserved a new name, and I was trying to be, you know, kind of positive about it, you know, because, you know, when it, you know I was learning about how we were just starting to brew them, and I was learning how to brew it, and I'm like, there's really nothing here in common with a West Coast IPA except for mm -hmm. the fact that it's dry hop, and so I'm like, you know, maybe these things, uh, you know, should be called something else. And boy, I got skewered. And so I quickly just said, <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> right. But right. Um, so, you know, and it's okay that it's called IPA. It's just that, you know, as long as people realize that, uh, you know, some of the other IPA subcategories are very different. Mm -hmm. um, I think to answer your question, uh, yeah, my, my take on hopping and uh, using hops and IPAs and what IPAs are, it has always evolved over time. Um, you know, when I got to Stone, we were making Ruination and Stone IPA, and, and we came out with a whole bunch of IPAs while I was there, and all of them were something a little bit different. Um, I, I will say that at, at New Realm in Atlanta, one of the first beers that we came out with was called uh, Hoplandia IPA. And it's a West Coast IPA that's dry hopped with Centennial and Simcoe. And I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite beers that we brew. And the overwhelming feedback we got the first three months we were open is that beer is too freaking bitter. And people couldn't drink it. And, and so it's like, all right, <laughs> you know, obviously I'm not in San Diego anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, we came out with a, a different IPA. And you know, instead of 70 IBUs, it's, it's 55 and, uh, it's a little bit fuller bodied, you know, it's not quite as dry as I tend to make IPAs and, uh, it's become our number two selling beer. It's a beer called Hoptropolis IPA and it's, you know, it's citron mosaic and it's got all these new hops in it, Azaka and Laurel, I think mm -hmm. is the, yeah, Laurel's the fourth hop and, you know, it, it's kind of a hot salad, but I wanted it to be somewhat tropical and fruity and, and maybe not as piney or resiny as, as Hoplandia is. And and that beer's done pretty well for us. So right. it's like, you know, it kind of goes back to that that idea of brewing what people are willing to drink. Mm -hmm. And we had fun putting that beer together and it's done well for us and I enjoy it. I still like Hoplandia the best, but, uh, you know, that's just my own personal taste like we were talking about. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think uh, overall, uh, hopping and and IPA and, and and beers in general, the the bittering has softened, and uh, you know the, the the skew of the hot flavor has gone more to the tropical and fruity and and maybe citrusy, but far less of the pine. You know, far far less of that resiny, uh, you know, peppery thing, and. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, just, you know, every new hop that's coming out, they, they try and work the word tropical in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could be coconut or it could be mango or whatever, you know, right. it's just all lumped in as tropical. <laughs> right. Have you used a uh, Sabro? I have uh, uh, quite a bit. Yeah. A big, big coconut bomb. Yeah. Big coconut. Yeah. Um, we did a beer that we just came out with called uh, Transcendental IPA. And it's a, it, we partnered up with John I. Haas, the hop supplier up in uh, Washington. And we did a beer with them last year. Uh, and we use experimental hops in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this year's version, we used um, uh, Sabro Incognito, the, the Whirlpool extract that Haas has developed. Mm. And, and, and then we were going to follow that with, with dry hopping post-fermentation, kind of a more traditional West Coast dry hopping protocol, but mm-hmm. uh, with experimental hops. But it, what amazed me is using the Sabro extract in the Whirlpool, how much of that Sabro character carried through the beer, through the fermentation and didn't get scrubbed out. It was, it blew me away, honestly, how much of that. And I don't know whether that's the hop itself or whether it's the incognito product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Sabro is one of those ones that people say, you know, tends to really, really do well with Whirlpool additions and flavor carryover. But it, it was, right. it was pretty fascinating, you know, and then we, we came after that and we dry hopped it with uh, uh, 692, which I think just got a name today. Um Talus, maybe? Is that what it is? Um, and then uh, a hop called BRU1, which was uh, grown on uh, at Brulot Farms outside of Yakima. So, um, you know, and, and we were going to focus on on these two experimental hops and the hop profile, but that Sabro just kept coming through and kind of coconut and a little hint of dill. And, and it turned out to be a great beer. Right. Hint of dill. Dill. That's what I was saying <laughs> to somebody. I'm like, I get a little bit of dill out of the Sabro. Oh, I definitely do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's coconut, probably a pineapple thing in the background and then, yeah. and then some dill. And I, I actually kind of dig the dill. I, I don't know. It just adds a totally different, you know, uh, layer on it. I'm glad you said dill. Everyone thought I was crazy when I said dill. I'm like, no. Yeah, no, I, you know, and I, I said that to our brewing team and people thought they're like, dill, what are you talking about? All I get is coconut. And I said, try it again, you know? And, um, uh, but the thing about this, you know, Sriracha Ace is a hop that has in in my mind too much dill. It's, it's Uh overpowering. And, and this one is really well integrated with the other, other flavors. And I think it just adds to the, kind of what that hop is all about right you wouldn't think coconut pineapple and dill would go together but eh, you know it, it does <laughs> it, works. Right <laughs> it works yeah i, I really enjoy the uh sabra hop uh, yeah. uh, a friend of mine travis he, he did a uh, a smash beer with oh, uh, sabro okay. and he sent me that and he did uh, you know a couple others and i was like wow i was really just blown away by the the intensity of the coconut because I, I happen to like coconut and, and hops. I, I think it's a great, great yeah. flavor. I think it's it's different, you know, and it's it's cool to have. Are there are there any other new hops you're geeking out on? <clears throat> well, um I really like Idaho Seven a lot. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's a great hop. We've been using it um uh as a mid-fermentation hop and you know, we did some some trials. I don't get to do as many of the kind of trial type work that, that I was able to do at stone just because we don't have enough people to really pull it off. But we did some trials with Idaho seven as a mid fermentation dry hop mm-hmm. along with Eldorado and Azaka. And it was Idaho seven was head and shoulders, the most juicy, uh, uh, hop that, you know, as far as what happened after the fermentation was done, it was, it was incredible. And so, you know, we had, I, when we opened up, I was brewing a pale ale that I was dry hopping or not dry hopping, but late hopping with uh, Cascade and Idaho seven, because I thought it'd be kind of a neat combination, you know, and it was kind of our Sierra Nevada inspired beer, but with a little, little modern hop addition in there. And I, we all loved the beer, but it didn't sell. Nobody, nobody was buying pale ales. And, mm-hmm. and so I had, <laughs> I'm you sitting just relabel it a session IPA. 
<laughs> that's exactly what we should have done, you know, but I, I kind of push back on that because it's amber and, you know, <laughs> but, yeah, matter. just get IPA in the, in the title. Yeah. IPA, uh, IPA pale ale. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and the end result was that I was sitting on a bunch of Idaho seven hops that we didn't have a home for. And so we started playing around with it and, mm. and just found that it's a, it's a wonderful mid fermentation hop addition. Right. Right. Well, and that's, uh, I was going to ask you about, um, uh, hop survivables. Was, have you read, uh, Scott Janish, uh, his site about, uh, hop survivables. He's talking about, uh, what he calls the, uh, saturated hop flavor carryover from, from the, from the hops hot side to, uh, to the, to the finished beer. And he has a, a, a chart on his website of, um, you know, the highest levels of these compounds and Idaho seven is like the top one. And he was saying, you know, it's like Idaho seven carries through to the end, you know, far more than any other hop. And it's kind of like what you were talking about. Um, you know, like the Sabro, maybe Sabro is one of those that, that also has a lot of survival survivables. Did you, did you read that article by chance? Yeah. So after, after you, you sent me a, a list of what you wanted to talk about, I had not read that one until I saw that your list and then I read it. Um, and, and I'm familiar with, with Scott's work a little bit. I haven't bought his book yet, but I I've been meaning to. And uh, I thought it was a fascinating post or blog or article or whatever it was. I, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, obviously the guy's technically very, very savvy on the, on the science side of hops. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've noticed that forever, you know, that certain hops tend to stick around better than others. And, uh, you know, I remember at Stone when we were dry hopping with Citra and the hops would just fall off a cliff after 30 days. But if you use Citra as a blend with other hops, then you get this hop character that really sticks around very nicely. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's something that's been interesting to me for a long time. And now that everybody's really loading up on Whirlpool hops, and and doing you know trying to get a lot of hop flavor and you know before the beer even starts fermenting um you know i, I the, the article is very timely right and 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 very relevant to what brewers are doing today so that's kind of cool yeah i you know i'm i think uh you know there was a time when everyone's excited about you know single hot beers and how you can and and it's great because you can tell the character of of a you know a hop that way, but you know I I, I very much am kind of against brewing that way in especially in in production. You know when you're trying to make a beer that tastes great, you know thirty days or sixty days later, um, it's difficult to to get away with it with a single hop. You know. Uh, really, like you're saying, if you somehow, if you combine these compounds, if you combine these different hops, if you make these blends, you get just the, the sum of the parts, uh, you know, it's, it's much greater, you know, uh, when, uh, when you add these together, I don't know what, what's exactly going on. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, um, uh, you know, that was one of the things that Anheuser-Busch did a lot of, you know, they, they would use six to 10 varieties of hops in their beers. And, and these weren't hoppy beers by any stretch, you know, but um, they, they, it was a philosophy they believed in. And one of the reasons they liked to do it was because if, uh, you know, after when a new crop year came in, if one of the hops had kind of tailed off or just right. wasn't what it had been the year before, it's pretty easy to kind of adjust the blend to get the same flavor profile. And, mm -hmm. um, and that was something I took with me to Stone because uh, when I got to Stone, you know, Stone Ruination um, IPA was, uh, at the time, was dry hopped with 100% Centennial, I think. And, and Stone IPA was a blend of Centennial and Chinook. And, you know, a year into my stint at Stone, there was the big hop shortage, you know, and the, and the, the hop crisis where all the hops burst into flames and everything else. And I couldn't get enough Centennial for what we needed to brew. And, right. um, you know, and I talked a lot with Ralph Olson at, at, at Hop Union about that. And he goes, well, you should do what you did at Anheuser-Busch and just blend a lot of hops together and try and get the same flavor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he, he was right. I mean, that, 
that worked for us. You know, we kind of adjusted the hopping and were able to maintain the flavor profile. We pulled the Centennial out of the Whirlpool, used a different hop in the Whirlpool and, and kept the Centennial in the dry hop and were able to milk our shortage through that. And, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that I think, you know, when you move forward with, with new beers, if you have several varieties that are featured in the beer, you're going to be able to weather crop year changes or supply changes or shortages or anything a lot easier than if you're relying on one hop. Yeah, that's one of the things I learned was <laughs> pretty early on was don't mention what hops you're using in a beer because <laughs> eventually you're going to have to change it. You know, the, the, the world is going to change on you and you're just going to have to, you know, we're dealing with agricultural, uh, you know, products right. and, you know, different crop years, different, you know, if you're relying on one single hop and, uh, you know, it has a bad year and the hops don't taste the same, uh, you know, that's fine. And, you know, but people need to understand that the beer is going to change and you got to be cool with the fact that the beer is going to change on you and you can do that or you know you can use multiple hops and like you're saying if if, if there's a down year you could add a little bit of something else you know sometimes uh yeah. you know one hop comes in it's more pine than tropical and really you wanted the tropical not so much pine so you lower that you don't throw that one away but um you know it's a little more on the pine so you use a little bit less and then you yeah. Uh, add in something else that's a little more tropical you, or you use a little bit more of a different hop. Uh, you know, it's a balancing game to, to get, you know, the, the flavor profile that you're looking for. And that's best done with multiple hops. I would think. Yeah, absolutely. It just gives you so much more flexibility. Mm -hmm. And it's an art, you know, to figuring it out. You know, that's, a, that's a challenge right. that I enjoy. That's, that's the joy <laughs> of brewing. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just, you know, yeah, throw in the same hop every time. If you're, yeah. not, if you're not actually tasting your beer, I guess that works. But if you're <laughs> tasting your beer, you're like, oh, no, that just tastes like I want it to. Um, all right. We're going to take one more short break. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back uh, talking uh, hops and brewing and everything else with my, my dear friend uh, Mitch Steele uh, from New Realm Brewing in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and also of Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach, yes? Virginia Beach, yeah. Nice. I would love to come and visit both. I still I still owe you a uh, coming out for a collab, so looking forward yep. to that. that. That door is always open, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so we're talking about uh, hop survivables and uh, how they carry over. And one of the other things that uh, Scott has on his uh, site was a, a blog post about cold dry hopping. I know this has been around a little while longer, where people are talking about uh, dry hopping, you know, below forty degrees Fahrenheit, kind of in the uh, mid to upper thirties, yeah. and how like linalool will extract faster at lower temperatures than it does at higher temperatures. And, uh, have you, have you tried anything like that? Have you, uh, uh, experimented with cold dry hopping at all? Or what, you know, what, what do you temperature do you dry hop at? So we typically, um, uh, when we're talking about post fermentation dry hop, we're dry hopping at 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that was based on some work I, I did at Stone, you know, just trying to figure out, you know, finding that optimum where you can get enough yeast to settle out into the cone of your fermenter, mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, extract hop character. Because most of the hop characters uh, and flavors that you extract during dry hopping, um, you know, the conventional wisdom is you get you get more at warmer temperatures. And we did some work. Mm -hmm. With, with colder temperatures to try and get more yeast off our IPA before we dry hopped it. And uh, it, it's different. I, I, I won't say it's better or worse. It was just different. So we ended up not going that route. Um, but yeah, my, my general impression of that, and we have not really tried it at, at New Realm uh, to any extent, but mm -hmm. my general impression is you, you tend to get kind of a less complex uh, hop character off the cold dry hop than you do off the warm one. But I, you know, 
yeah, we anecdotal at best. Yeah, we tried a um, uh, hundred and twenty barrel. You know, we brew every week. You know, same beer, and we tried a cold dry hopping at uh, I think it was thirty four Fahrenheit. And um, you know, we we actually recirculate uh, the beer and the hops. And we give it three-hour recirculation at uh, 34 degrees Fahrenheit, and it really did not have the character of of the the warmer dry hop beers. Yeah. So it was, you know, it wasn't bad. It was just uh, far less uh, present. You know, yeah. it was a much much a lower uh, extract. So I don't think uh, I'm, I'm not, and it, it's gonna. I imagine it varies with the beer and with, you know, so many other things and, you know, maybe three hours wasn't quite enough recirculation, but yeah, who, who knows, <laughs> you know, there would be an advantage to it, you know, in that we could just crash and, you know, dry hop and there you go. Save maybe a, a couple of days while we warm dry hop and then crash. Yeah. And you can kind of do it all at the same time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my goal was to find, you know, better hop flavor, better, you know, uh, linalool is quite important, especially in these fruity, uh, uh, juicy beers. So, yeah. I don't know. I give it a shot. You know, maybe we'll try again between 40 and 50 and maybe, you know, somebody, somebody I'm doing the ask me anything on Beer Advocate and somebody asked, you know, what about hot dry hopping? You know, raise the temperature up, go to like 80 or you know, 90. Oh, like, maybe, you know, I'm thinking Quebec yeast and uh, yeah. dry hopping and recirculation and God knows, um, <laughs> which is why I need a, a smaller brew plan to do these things on. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm ready for, you know, a minimum of 30 barrels of, uh, you know, Quebec with, you know, 80 degree dry hopping. I'm not, I'm just not convinced at this point. So <laughs> I am, I am thinking I, what I really need is a little five barrel brew plant that I could, uh, yeah, play we're lucky. With. We have one of those. So it's, uh, uh, it's been fun. We've had to kind of curtail it because of, uh, lack of revenue, you know, generation this year, but, um, you know, we still, we still do some important work on ours. Right. What's what's your your main uh, brew plant size there? I know the uh, Virginia Beach is fifty barrels. What's the the one at, uh, at in Atlanta? It's um it's a twenty five hectoliter system, which means that we knock out about twenty two barrels of work per brew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we just call it a twenty barrel system just to keep it easy. But right. yeah, that's but it you know it's it, it's a little bit bigger than than a large brew pub system. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Crohn's brew house, so it's all automated. So it's kind of a, a, a bit of a Cadillac in a lot of ways. Um, so you but, run it from your phone while you're that, on the toilet? You run it from your yeah, phone? Yeah, we don't, we don't do toilet? that, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am proud to say I have never done that. but uh, <laughs> It's the first time for everything. Come on. Yeah, life goals, right? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, you know, it's a nice brew house. It's, you know, it's, it's definitely designed for German beer. So there's some limitations with what you can do. Like, you know, some discussion on, on chilling, chilling your wort in the whirlpool before you throw in the whirlpool hops. We, that is extremely difficult for us to do with our system. Yeah, uh, It requires a lot of uh, hands-on manual manipulation of the program. And it's, right. it's tough, you know, but, uh, you know, we can do that on our five barrel system. So that's yeah, what we- sometimes automation will, you know, it restricts you. Uh, yeah. Did I tell you my story of uh, doing a collab brew at Fuller's? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was something else. Um, do I have time for it? Or do we need to push the next show? Let's see here. Uh, we got time for it. I'll run long if I have to. Uh, so I was going to do a collab brew in Fuller's. We were doing a kettle sour. Fuller. In Fuller's? Yes, I know. That's, that's what everybody said. I don't know how. I think it was uh, 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 John Keeling that uh, he was just like, well, let's do a kettle sour. And he kind of just, I think, snuck it in. He knew he was leaving anyways. You know, <laughs> one of those things. And so. Uh, 
a good friend, uh, Henry Kirk, who works there. He and I uh, kind of planned this thing out and we get there the, the, the day of, and the problem is, you know, you want to, um, you know, there's no problem just mashing and holding the, the, having the kettle boiling for 15 minutes. And then the problem is uh, cooling it down first to uh, have it cold enough that you can pitch your lactobacillus yeah. and not kill it. So we had to get it down to, you know, like hundred Fahrenheit. And then the issue was uh, because they're not set up for that, you know, right. and, and to hold it. So what we ended up having to do is go down and into their, uh, their uh, paraflow uh, setup, which is all these plate chillers. And it's a computer-based program that, um, balances out the the temperature coming in the water coming in the the beer going out or the work going out and recovering enough hot liquor for the next mash and it's it's an all automated system and so we're we're there we had to fool the system into thinking we were sending it to a fermenter and then we just routed the the hoses back to the other kettle they have two kettles there yeah okay and so uh <laughs> we're there and uh, we're trying to get a temperature of 100 degrees Fahrenheit into the second kettle. Well, this machine ain't having it, right? It is, the, the, the temperature is plummeting. It's going down to like 32. Oh, and then gosh. it's rocketing up to like boiling and it's going, it's just doing this wave. <laughs> and they're, they're saying, ah, oh, no, 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 this, this, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to give up. We're going to have to dump this thing. And I have like this, you know, uh, all of a sudden this enlightenment staring at the board. I'm like, increase the speed of the wort. And they're like, what? I'm like, increase the speed of the wort. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's not going to work. And so my friend Henry's like, yeah, do, do whatever he says. And um, so they increase the speed of the wort and it starts working. The temperature just settles right into what it was. <laughs> And I didn't really, and they all looked at me like, oh my God, he's kind of uh, knows what he's talking about. <laughs> this this idiot from California all of a sudden knows something. And uh, I didn't really realize what I was thinking then. I, I, I just, some feeling I had or something. And I realized later on what it was is uh, the, the, the distance between the sensors was, uh, w- was not far enough. Okay. And so... The the problem was the the liquid would get too cold before the sensor read and too hot or you know or or it was too far, and so by speed it, or the distance was too far, and so by speeding up the the work going through, it started to read the actual temperature and respond in the in the appropriate way, and yeah. so it balanced out. We were able to transfer it to the kettle, but then we had to get the 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 software reprogrammed to uh, tell it that. Um, you know, we still had that batch in a kettle and it was like, no, you've transferred it to a fermenter. It's not in a kettle. Yeah. So we wouldn't have been yeah. able to boil it. You know, we wouldn't have been able to do anything else. We're kind of locking up the entire brew house by doing this, <laughs> you know, and then, and then we had to throw in, they, they grew up the, uh, the, the plantarum from, uh, uh some, uh, like a probiotic that they bought down at the local, uh, you know, Tesco. And, uh, <laughs> We, they had it in like corny kegs. We poured, poured it all in and I'm like, okay, wait 24 hours and we're good. And uh, so the next day we're boiling all that. And uh, they, all the brewers had to go to a meeting. They were doing a series of collabs with like all the brewers, you know, one of their brewers with a brewery somewhere in the country. So they all had to go to a meeting. And so my friend Henry's like, do you mind watching the brewery while we go to this meeting? We'll be back in like an hour. <laughs> I'm like, I thought he was kidding. He's like, oh, you know, uh, you know, finish cleaning out that kettle there and, you know, keep an eye on this. He says, you got London pride in this kettle. And he goes, you'll be all right. You know what you're doing. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I guess I'm one thing. I was right. Come on. So, uh, so I'm sitting there. Uh, in the in the brewer's office, you know, I'm wearing my my Fuller's high vis and all this, and a tour group comes by, and they're they're, they're waving, they're taking pictures of the brewer sitting in the booth there. I'm thinking, 
so somebody's going to post this on on like Facebook about their tour at, at Fuller's, and here's the brewer sitting in the in the in the brewery office there, and I'm just like, okay, here you go. And I'm like, That's, I have no idea what I'm doing. And uh, then somebody came by I, from the lab or something. They go, uh, I think this is uh, said like forty. I'm like, oh, okay. So I grabbed a piece of scrap paper. I wrote it down. I'm thinking, what could that mean? And I'm thinking, okay, well, it's like the the gravity of in points of the uh, the London Pride. Mm-hmm. And I was right. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> very nice. And Henry came back. I'm like, hey, somebody came in and opened the door and said 40, Jimmy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I'm like, oh. So that was really cool. And that's cool. <laughs> I got to look in the logbooks for what they had brewed 100 years exactly to the day of that we were brewing. And that was so yeah. neat. I mean, just that's see, cool. You know, the history of the whole thing. But they, yeah. were, they were just so wonderful and, you know, letting me do my crazy things. And I, I started, I started telling them ways that they could change the way they brewed to, and, and overcome the system to use far more hops than, than they ever thought was <laughs> rational. I'm like, look, you can do it this way. You could dump the sump and then you could, yeah. and they're like, uh, yeah, okay. But uh, I don't know if that in the past. That's a great I haven't story. invited back for a second collab. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> We'll see. Great story. Maybe. (laughs) All right. Uh, That's all we got time for today. If you are listening live, stay tuned. We've got another hour with uh, my dear friend Mitch Steele uh, coming up in in seconds. If you're listening uh, on the podcast, it'll be another week or whenever it posts. I don't really know. I don't have control of that. But uh, what I do have control of is, uh, you know, the, the fine sponsors that we have, like uh, Blickman Engineering, Brew Chatter. Make sure you support them. Make sure if you're out in the Atlanta area or Virginia Beach, stop by at uh, New Realm and check out. I can guarantee you one thing. The beers are going to be excellent. The food's going to be excellent. Everything's going to be top-notch because that's, that's just the way Mitch does things. So uh, go and check them out. Until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong.